Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of the Broke Bitch Anonymous podcast. Um, As I say that out loud, I'm realizing more and more that it kind of sounds like I'm saying Broke Witch Anonymous, which unironically is also how I feel lately, especially the older I get, the more time that I spend on the internet. I do kind of feel like a broke witch, but um, anyways, that's besides the point. Welcome to the Broke Bitch Anonymous podcast. This is the first ever episode, and it is actually the second and a half time that I've tried to record this episode. The first time was last night, and you know, I think the recording went okay, but as I was listening back to it this morning, I realized that I probably could do a little bit better, and then as I continued to write more notes down today and re-listened and edited and stuff like that, I also realized that I was doing pretty much exactly what I told myself I would not do, which is overthink this thing. I really just wanted to be something that is raw, something that is hopefully truthful, something that's just not trying to be anything that it isn't. Um, And the reality of this situation is right now that I'm sitting in my closet on a Saturday night. It's midnight currently. I had to wait for my neighbors to leave because they were loudly playing Kelly Clarkson and playing beer pong next door. And they were interrupting my little makeshift closet recording studio. Um, But yeah, so I'm sitting on the floor of my closet and I'm drinking a pineapple White Claw. And that is the reality. That is the situation right now. You know... It doesn't need to be anything that it's not as long as it's interesting. And I do think that there is a lot to talk about. I think right now I'm at a place in my career where a lot of the things that I've done, whether it's been being a food critic, you know, working in the music industry, being a stripper, just being kind of an entrepreneur with real businesses and also fake businesses that I never even properly launched trying to hustle and hustling over the last few years, I'm in a place where I would like to tie it all together and I would like to kind of make sense of everything that I've done and that's happened to me. And I think this, I think this is the perfect way to do it. Um, And I also think that it's an interesting time because obviously, you know, everyone wants to make money and money can, you know, fix a lot of problems and solve a lot of things that can happen in your life but at the same time I mean and this has been happening for the last few years now especially with Instagram and whatever is that there are a lot of people flexing their wealth but there's very few people who actually are wealthy in person and there's this huge disconnect between how people present themselves Versus just how they are and how they live. And you really don't know how someone's actually living until you spend, you know, at least a day with them and see the reality versus whatever they portray. And, you know, this is not a new concept, but I think it's still something that a lot of people are scared to talk about. Because, like, I mean, if you think about it, and I'm not saying that we should normalize this, but it's normal to ask someone, you know, what they do. And often that answer can be, you know, sound very promising or very interesting. Like, say they say they're an A&R, they manage this artist, they do this or that, they're around all these people. But 
I don't think many people would be comfortable telling you what's in their bank account. And that's not because there's a lot of money in it and they don't want you to report them to the IRS. It's because most people are not as wealthy or as successful as they portray themselves to seem. Um, And that's not a knock on anyone, but I think that there is an opportunity to have some more honest conversations. So that is what I'm starting this podcast for. Um, And obviously I've had a lot of different hustles lately, especially with stripping. There is a lot to discuss to say the least. So we're going to get into some of that today. Um, Even though, to be honest with you, this is actually the longest that I've gone without going to the club uh, in a while. I mean, actually, it's been over a week now since I have been in the confines of that sad little trap music dungeon that I call my place of work. Uh, And I don't know when I'm going to go back. I'm going to try to do it next week, but I realized that it was really grating on just my mental headspace in a way that I hadn't I think I was so busy and I was so focused on just making money that I didn't really take a chance to process everything that had happened to me. And then last week, I kind of just had a nervous breakdown on the dance floor. So I am going to tell that story in a little bit. I think when you're getting a lot of fast money, you have to you have to be able to take care of yourself. And I just wasn't doing that. So anyways, I've taken a week off, which I think actually has given me a good amount of distance and perspective from the club. Because sometimes if you're there all the time, you can get wrapped up in... You can get wrapped up in everything that's going on and your perspective shifts. And if you unplug for a little bit... Oh, this is a horrible sentence. I think it lets you think a little clearer. So... It's a good time to talk about dancing when you haven't been at the club, you know, five minutes ago. In terms of why I'm starting this podcast now, other than that, honestly, I, for so long, I've thought of podcasting as something that, you know, sad, failing comedians do when their careers are really falling apart. And it's like a last ditch effort at seeming interesting you know, the stereotype, or maybe I just made that up in my head, but I think that's a real stereotype of like, of course he started a podcast. Everyone has a podcast. So I avoided it for a long time because I thought it would, I thought it was embarrassing. I thought it was an embarrassing thing to do. And I thought it made you seem like a failure. But at the same time, I feel like out of all of the things I've done in my life, this is definitely not the most embarrassing and this is not the most failure-esque. So I probably should have started this a long time ago. Um, because also my own life has been falling apart for a long time and there's maybe no shame in that. I mean, depending on what you call falling apart. And also, I mean, and this, I'm kind of joking, but I'm also not really joking at all. But as I get progressively older and uglier, and now I am officially deep, deep into my late twenties, and I really entered my late twenties on March 17th of 2020, which is pretty much the day that the world, as we know it, shut down and entered into a global pandemic. So I don't know what I was thinking, but if there was a sign of doom, that was it. And I, that was the day that I stepped into my late 20s. My birthday is on March 17th. And I remember drinking a glass of champagne in my, lo- in, my, in my room alone that day and just hoping for the best but expecting the worst. 
And, you know, I mean, so far, my late 20s have been a little bit of a burning disaster, a beautiful burning disaster, but definitely, uh, you know, they haven't been smooth, I would say. Um, and as I'm getting older, I'm just realizing I would like to maintain some kind of internet presence. And I don't necessarily want to be having to post pictures of my ass on Instagram to do that. Because I've been doing that for a long time. It's never really worked that well for me. At some point, you hit a wall and you just go, what are we doing? What are we really doing here? Is this really fulfilling me? Like, what's really the point? And I think I hit that wall a while ago. But I still want to, like, engage with people just in a, in a more constructive, hopefully fulfilling way. Hopefully by adding something. Because I used to, when I was a writer, I used to write and publish at least two stories a week. And when you're doing that, you kind of, I mean, you get used to more of the the backlash that you're inevitably going to get when you're putting stuff out into the public. But you're also, I think you're living in a healthier space because you're like, you're creating something. I think you're adding some kind of value. And that's not to say that just, you know, posting TikToks and Instagrams isn't adding value. Some of them are, absolutely. But um, I kind of miss like contributing a little bit more. So that's what we're doing here. I mean, I probably will still be posting pictures of my ass on Instagram. Let's be honest. Um, But yeah, actually, to kick things off, I have put a little excerpt from a book that I've been working on that is really in the same vein of this podcast. The book what I would like to call it is Broke Bitch Bible. And I don't know if that title will stick around. I mean, I know it's a little corny, but it's the same premise of the podcast. We're going to be talking about making money in a bunch of different ways and just success and just getting older. And I guess maybe I could have read it just to set the tone a little bit um, and we can go from there. So it's, it's really short, um, just a couple of paragraphs. But yeah, so I'm going to read it now. You start to haggle with yourself as you near your late 20s, making small mental concessions about the best case scenario for your life. As someone who started stripping at the age of 29, I'd like to think I've become an expert personal haggler. Because the, the truth is few people are brave enough to actually go out and make something of themselves and fail and do it all over again with the hope that one day they'll get it right. At some point, most people look around at all the half-naked failures of their lives and realize the biggest truth of all, that trying is embarrassing. Anyone who's ever posted something on Instagram with the caption, big things coming soon, to never have those big things come to fruition knows this. But it's still better than the alternative. The psychological pressure of unrealized goals is its own type of hell. Yeah, so that's the end of the excerpt. And, you know, I think it's very true. Um, Always saying that you're working on something, but never having that relief and hopefully the satisfaction of having that thing come out into the world is kind of like creating your own little mental prison. Um, And I think a lot of people, it's very tempting to create that mental prison for yourself, especially now, because... The temptation to publicize and advertise that you're doing something before you've done it 
is so strong because it gives you this illusion of like forward motion and movement and growth and achievement when maybe you haven't really achieved that thing yet at all. Maybe you haven't even opened that LLC or started working on that album or started working on that book or any of these things. But the announcement still gives you this sense of like people still congratulate you on whatever, on really doing not much of anything, on really launching a fake business. But then you trap yourself because now you have these expectations from others and you have this fear of the reality not living up to the announcement and all of these, you know, mental games that you start playing. And anyway, I think a lot of people end up living in that space of like, your unrealized goals start to kind of haunt you. So <laughs> very lighthearted stuff, but that is also, that's another reason why I'm starting this podcast. I want to just start warming up uh, the idea of the book, putting feelers out there um, and also learning more and hopefully just like growing the material and stuff like that, because I, I do plan on having some guests on here. I want to talk to other women who have had experiences, both, with things that, you know, your guidance counselor might recommend, like launching a business or becoming conventionally successful, but also women like, you know, Brittany Renner or girls who've been flown out to Dubai to do weird shit for rich men. Um, I think there's there's so much to say. Uh, and I know a lot of people think women like Brittany Renner are evil, and I'm sure that she is. I mean, she seems a little unhinged in the videos she's been posting lately. But at the same time, like, who's really the dummy when she just came up millions of dollars? And I'm, I mean, sitting in my closet uh, alone on a Saturday night. So who's to say I don't think it's that black and white? I don't think it's as black and white as, like, the shade room makes it seem when they post these things. And I think that's another reason why I can finally admit that I'm very excited about just podcasts as a whole because it feels like it's hard to have conversations on the internet that have much, like, I don't want to say substance, but have much nuance or, like, much just, like, human understanding to them when everything is so limited and so polarized and just, I mean, you can't even really say very much anymore. I don't really say much anymore, especially on Twitter or really on Instagram, because I just, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like banned. I've already gotten a bunch of warnings on Instagram and stuff like that. So it's just, it's not worth it anymore to, it's, it almost feels like it's not worth it to speak out and speak your opinion, which I think is a very shitty and scary thing when you consider the fact that we're supposed to be living in a free country. Um, but I also think that's what makes podcasting so special right now, because it's really one of the only, the only mediums where you can actually like talk and you're not limited to you know five minute segments like the news and you're not limited to what you can and can't say in a certain number of characters and all of that so the most important and pertinent financial information of our time um you can also think about it in that way um, i wrote down a couple of other things that we will be talking about this is kind of dumb stuff but hopefully interesting i wrote We'll be talking about that summer that I joined Seeking Arrangements, how I used to steal makeup from Sephora, which please, if anyone's listening, I don't do that anymore, but I, I did it before. I don't do it anymore. I'm I'm a good person. I'm a good citizen. Um, how 
I have lived with no income, how I've lived with a lot of income, why most bags that you see on Instagram are fake, how my parents lost a million dollars in a year, um, that time I fell in love with uh, pretty much a prince and he told me to delete my Instagram if I wanted him to be with me because it made me look like an escort. Uh, we're going to be talking about pimps. We're going to be talking about wannabe pimps, which is almost more common, just like fake businesses. Um, we're going to be talking about how to make money without doing very much. Uh, how to make money with doing a lot, which I know sounds vague, but we are going to be talking about a lot of different things. So I genuinely hope that you stick around because it's going to get interesting. I think it's going to be interesting. And there is actually a point to this episode today. Um, I think I'm going to record this in a two-part series, but I wanted to kick things off by talking about stripping, mainly because it is like the most relevant thing in my, one of the most relevant things in my life right now. And it's been such a blessing for me in a way that I finally, you know, I was able to move into a really beautiful apartment. I was able to save more money than I've ever saved in my life. I was able to, I've been able to like, move with a the type of freedom that money gives you even though I'm not rich at all and what I really realized is that making a little bit of money only makes you understand how much money you don't have because you start to meet people and encounter people who actually have money um like for example I met somebody a few months ago who had spent two hundred thousand dollars on furniture at restoration hardware and that really puts it into perspective for me because I have nowhere near that amount of money. But I thought at the time of meeting him, I really felt wealthy. I remember it was, and now I have more than, I have more money than this. But at the time I had just saved like three or $4,000 from dancing. Um, and I made it really quick because the money comes fast. And I had gone on vacation to Miami and I had gone from like living in a shared room uh, in a bad part of town with not a lot of, just not a lot going on, which I will also get into, to having a few thousand dollars in my pocket. And I felt rich as fuck. And now that I have, you know, much more than that, only recently have I realized how much money I don't have um, and how much money there is to make out there. And I know that there's already a ton of stripper content out there you know, about money counts and YouTube, day in the life of stripper vlogs and all of that. But as much as I think a lot of people are like very fascinated by the idea of stripping. And actually right now there's like a global stripper shoe shortage where there's more strippers in the world than ever. There's more girls that have started dancing than ever. So you, it's hard to even find dance shoes sometimes. I do still think that there there isn't really that much content that like addresses the more harsh realities of being a dancer. I think there's some, like I just watched a really great YouTube video from this YouTuber, Sarah, Sarah Cortinez or Sarah Cortina. Uh, and she was talking about some of the darker realities of dancing with her friend. And I love that. And she's just talking about the anxiety that you can have at the club and how men or customers can be mean to you and cuss you out and all this stuff. And like, how that affects you just mentally and how that affects your self-esteem. And while, you know, you, you want to be able to say, like, you want to be able to treat work just like it's work and customers like they're just customers and not have it affect you in your real life, it inevitably does. It You can't ever separate everything. 
everything that you experience will end up bleeding into who you eventually become. So all of the dark shit that happens in stripping is not something that just happens in a vacuum and you just walk away from when you walk out of the club. Like all of that shit follows you. And I don't think there's any amount of therapy or vacations that you can go on to erase it. I think it's just something you have to work through. I think it's something you just have to accept and accept if you are willing to deal with it for the money, if it's worth it. They said this in their YouTube video, and I agree. I don't think you can really get rich from stripping. Maybe if you come from having nothing, you will feel rich at first. But it's hard. You, It's hard to actually get rich from dancing because the lifestyle that it creates and the headspace that you might slip into when you start spending a lot of time in strip clubs is really not unfortunately one of like wealth building there's just a lot of you're gonna meet a lot of people that spend a lot of money you might start spending a lot of money quickly because you're getting it so fast there aren't a lot of girls and just people that you meet at clubs that like want the best for you unfortunately and it's easy to just get caught up in it and spend a lot of your money or not be making as much as you could or just wake up one day and realize like I've been doing this for a long time and I haven't I don't really have that much to show for it so you have to be careful of that but it's very very hard to actually get rich off of stripping and I have not gotten rich off of stripping yet I mean we'll see I don't know this isn't going to just be a podcast about stripping but today I did want to talk about why I started stripping because I mean it's I think very embarrassing to start dancing when you're 29 years old that's probably one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done in my life to be completely honest with you most girls I mean most smart women are not smart but women who are smarter than me I feel like they start when they're younger and think a lot of those girls that start early what I mean when I say they're a lot smarter than me is like they have the goal of, you know, saving to buy a house or paying for their college tuition or they have something concrete that they're working towards. And then often I know girls who are now in their early 20s and they've literally bought a house and they've done something that's like fucking amazing. And there's girls like me who are much older and like, I don't have a house. I have spent... I spent the majority of my early 20s uh, on cocaine, drinking a bottle of vodka a night and passing out in the hallway of my dorm or my apartment. I was not using my time in a constructive way. And yet I also think I felt like I was better than most people, better than strippers, because I was in college. I was studying English, which is like its own type of fucking nightmare. And I was running around Toronto with people I thought were cool at the time, thinking that I was better than Drake even though I had maybe at the most $500 in my bank account. Um, So I was not better than any of these people, but I felt morally superior and I didn't have the foresight to think about my financial future or really my future at all by the time I hit 29. Like I really, I don't even think I thought I was going to get to 29, if I'm being completely honest, not in any dark, morbid way, but I just, it didn't seem like a real age that was coming for me. And yet now here I am. So yeah, I decided to start dancing earlier this year. And it all started, well, really it started as kind of a separate event, kind of very separate from from dancing. And I had flown back 
I had flown back to the East Coast to visit somebody that I will call an old fling. Um, You know when you're, like, in a perpetual talking stage with someone, but the talking stage has lasted for, like, half a year or longer because they've told you they don't want a relationship, but they still kind of keep you around and you don't have the emotional strength to pull yourself away from it. Um, It was one of those situations. And when I got there, it had been months since we saw each other. I was honestly excited to see him. I had missed him. I think he had also missed me. We spent a few days, you know, reconnecting, doing whatever people that are excited to see each other do. We slept together, uh, unprotected, whatever we were dumb um I was especially dumb because I knew I had like that app that tracks when you can get pregnant and the day that I got there was like my most fertile day and the few days after that it was still like very high chance of getting pregnant whatever and I told him that and so I kind of thought we were like not really at all on the same page because someone who doesn't even want to be with you in like a casual relationship definitely does not want you to have their kid but I did tell him like by the way, like, maybe don't do this because, like, I can get pregnant right now. But I think we were both kind of just living in, like, a delusional fantasy of thinking, oh, well, that doesn't, that's not really going to happen. And I also, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I think, like, there was, like, a 5%, 10% part of my brain that just kind of believed and honestly still kind of feels this way because I'm just not totally ignorant to, like, women's biology of like I kind of felt deep down I was like if it happens it happens but at the same time like it's probably not going to happen so anyways the reality of something like that actually happening also in the idea are like very very different things and you can kind of have like flirt with that thought for a few minutes but it's very different than any sort of reality and so as the reality crunched down on us and also as my like I realized like the window to take plan B was running out. He went and got a plan B. I took it before I took it. I, and I don't know if this was like, this is probably subconscious. I did feel kind of just like off, but it was probably because we had been drinking a lot and it's just a different lifestyle than I had been used to before. Like when I was at home, I don't really drink that much and I just wasn't really partying or whatever. So anyways, I took the plan B and a couple of weeks went by that I continued to stay with him with really no with really no plans of leaving uh as shitty as that sounds i hadn't i didn't have an apartment at the time i didn't really want to leave as much as i knew that eventually i would have to i didn't really know what the next move was at the time i had been like waiting on a job that was in kind of perpetual limbo and I didn't know what was going on. And every day it was like, I would be half working for them, but they were, the company like was yet to confirm what I was actually supposed to be doing and who I was supposed to be working for. Um, they weren't really paying me. It was not a, it was not a great situation. So I, I didn't really know what I was going to do and I didn't want to leave. But as the weeks went by, a couple of weeks went by, And I found out that his ex-girlfriend was coming back to stay with him, which was really not not the news that I had been hoping for or not the news that I wanted. And also in the back of my mind, I, I remembered, you know, those few days that we had been like particularly dumb and the times after that, but really those few days. 
and I still hadn't got my period and I knew I was supposed to have gotten it by then. But I know the plan B can like mess things up. So I figured it was probably fine. Whatever. I didn't bring it up to him. And I left as she moved back in. Heartbroken, kind of realizing that this person didn't care very much about me, which was not a new realization, but still always hurts. And life went on. And as a few more days passed, I still didn't get my period. I had some weird symptoms that I don't even really want to get into. I went and got a pregnancy test, took it, it was negative. And then a few more days went by and Honestly, getting into, like, the specifics of just female shit is sad. I don't think this is the place to do that. But um, just some weird stuff was going on. I went and got another test, uh, and I took it. And at first when I saw it, because if you've if you ever taken a pregnancy test, like, the, the negative not pregnant line is, like, very bold, Um it shows up right away. And then the positive line, like, I mean, I've never been super pregnant, so I don't know, but usually it like comes later and it's like way more faint. Cause I guess it's picking up on the hormones of your pee or whatever. And depending on how pregnant you are, like the hormones are not as strong. So anyways, I took it and it looked like it was negative. And then a couple minutes went by and there was like a red line that showed up in the positive section and it was pretty faint but it was definitely there and I just kind of like froze and didn't know even recounting it now it felt really weird I mean I felt kind of like a psycho because the last person I wanted to tell was him because he was literally living with someone else and I also knew that like anyone I kind of told I didn't want to make a big deal out of it because I felt like the chances of me being pregnant were so slim and I had already taken a negative test and I didn't know if maybe this was just like a faulty test or something like that so that night I did tell one friend and I sent her the picture of the test and I was just like what is this what's going on and she kind of calmed me down um because she had had a similar situation. And we, so we talked and that was really helpful. But that night I pretty much just spent the whole night not sleeping and just Googling myself into oblivion about my symptoms and just like engaging in a lot of unhealthy medical behavior. And I feel like I'm going into too much detail about this, but fast forward a few more days and I am getting a lot of stomach pains again. There is like some bleeding, but it's not a period like shit is fucked. I don't know what's happening. And I have no way to like assess the situation. I'm not a doctor. I don't, I don't know. My one fear because of like, for my Googling is that I'm having like an ectopic pregnancy, which is when you get like the, the shit implants in one of your like tubes and then it can burst and you die. So that's from my Googling what I think is happening to me. Um, but I don't have health insurance. I don't have anything like that. I don't have a doctor. I don't want to go to a hospital, but I'm also afraid of dying. (laughs) I don't want that to happen. Um, and so I decide to just walk myself to a hospital. I go to the hospital. I go to the ER. 
I don't want to tell this guy what's going on uh, because at this time, at this point now, he's actually on vacation with his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend, whatever. Um, so I don't want to tell him. I don't want to make a big deal about the situation. I just want to make sure that I'm good. And if there is some kind of like weird shit happening with me that I'm not going to literally die. So I go to the hospital, I tell them what happened, and thankfully they took it really seriously, they took my blood, they like laid me down, my legs are spread out on this thing, they're examining me, they're doing all this stuff, they're really doing the most, I was there all day, and I'm not great in those settings of, I don't like being in a hospital, I don't like any of that stuff, and I'm trying not to freak out, but I also would love like some kind of moral support, and I also in that moment like really not knowing what I'm gonna do and not knowing what's happening to me, like I want to feel like that person, you know, cares a little bit or just I want them to know what I'm dealing with. Like I it's not a fun situation for me. I mean, it wouldn't be a fun situation for anyone. So I don't tell him like everything, but I just text him and I just let him know that I'm in the ER. And I I assume like he will have the you know, he will reply and just ask me if I'm good or something let me tell you, this man does not even reply. He doesn't even respond when I tell him I'm in the ER. So I know where we stand after that. Clearly, he does not care at all. Meanwhile, I'm still wondering if I'm pregnant or dying or something. And so eventually, uh, one of the nurses come to me, they show me like my blood work and everything. And all of the shit. And she tells me that I'm fine. It's not an ectopic pregnancy. Thank God. Um, but she tells me that I had a miscarriage, uh, which is very common apparently in early pregnancy. It happens. I don't, I don't know how much, but it happens a lot. And it was probably because of like, obviously like the plan B and the stress and the hormones and everything. And it was like, it was a lot to deal with. So anyways, she says it's very common, but I'm going to be fine and everything's going to go back to normal eventually. Like this is, it's the type of thing, like your body heals itself. So I go home, which is not home because I'm actually staying with a friend uh, who was nice enough to let me stay at his place, who is just a friend who I'm literally sleeping. I'm staying in his basement, sleeping on his floor. And there was like a little kind of like workout yoga mat situation that he had going on down there. And I just made this like I was pretty much like squatting in his basement. So I go back home um, after finding out that I've had a miscarriage. Kind of thinking about my life, reassessing the situation, looking at this job that I still don't even really have, um, thinking about this guy that is now with another girl, looking at where I'm quote unquote living. Um, and I just feel like, you know, I finally had this realization, like things are not going well. This is not, things are not going well for me. This is not how I wanted my life to be. This is not how I wanted my life to turn out. Plus, we are still pretty much in the middle of like a pandemic. So I haven't really worked for worked properly for a long time. Um, And so I'm essentially running out of money with no real money coming in. And no one really who gives a shit. I don't have like, you know, a big support system or like a partner or anything like that. Like I I, I don't have like the partner that I had projected onto this person I had been staying with all everything just becomes crystal clear so anyways in that moment or in those moments I should say in those days following 
I just, I think you can go one of two ways. You can totally give up and move back in with your parents or whatever. I mean, my mom was in Poland, so I didn't really want to go all the way over there. But you can totally give up. Or there's like something in you that starts kicking and just starts saying, okay, we got to figure this out. We got to figure this out. We got to fucking like, you can't just sleep on this floor forever. What the fuck are you doing? You're better than this. Like, I'm not totally stupid. I'm not completely talentless. I have something to offer. Like, I don't know how things got so bad. So I decide to book a one-way ticket to a city that I've never been before um, on Spirit Airlines because I didn't have any money. I think the flight was like 50 bucks or something like that. And in the days before my flight, um, where I'm still staying in my friend's basement, I kind of just start to scheme about what I can do to get some quick money to get back on my feet. And I start thinking about stripping. I start watching a bunch of YouTube videos about girls who are posting, you know, how to get hired at the strip club, how to do your first lap dance, how to make money on stage, how to do all of these things. And I pretty much just become obsessive over all of these tips that they're sharing and all of this stuff. And by the time I get off my flight and land in this new city, I give it a couple days to just let the idea sink in because to be honest, I was still really scared because as much as like I think anyone would be nervous and scared of trying to go be a stripper for the first time, there's also something like deeply embarrassing about trying to be a stripper at the age of 29. So for that reason, I didn't tell anyone that I was doing that. The only person that knew was my friend who had let me stay with him like on his floor. And even him, I didn't follow up with him being like, yeah, I'm here now. I'm I'm going to do it. I'm going to audition, whatever. So I pretty much just did it in a complete vacuum um, because I didn't know if I was going to fail. I didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen at all. I didn't even know if places were going to hire me. And in hindsight now, like, I don't know why the fuck they hired me because I used to go. I remember my first auditions, like, I was so ashamed of where I was And what I was doing that I used to wear these like really cheap, terrible wigs to work. But it was so hot where I was because it was summer that like and I would take the bus from where I was staying to and from my auditions and to and from work that I didn't like to wear the wigs like leaving my house because it would just be too hot like on that hour, hour and a half bus ride. So I'd put the wigs on at the end of my commute (laughs) right before I got to the club. So I looked fucking crazy and they were just the worst my my hair looked so bad and thankfully I got hired still so something went right I think God just had my back in those moments and just sent me to the right places because while I worked at a couple clubs that were not I just didn't feel like I was at home there I also was able to find a couple places really one spot pretty quickly that seemed to click and I remember one of the first nights that I worked there I think I made like $500 and that was the most money I had ever made in a night and that's really that's like what I used to make when I was writing full-time and I remember just riding the bus back just thinking like if I can make $500 a night then like 
I'm lit. I can make so much money. I, I already felt like I was rich, even though, I mean, I was still very much broke. Um, but eventually I kind of cracked the code and I learned how to turn the $500 into like a thousand per shift and sometimes 2000. And I really just got into this mode of working constantly and I, and not working for the sake of like any sort of like fulfillment or to create anything or anything like that. Obviously I was stripping, but just working to make money, which is such a different headspace that I had never really been in before when I had spent my entire career more or less before that, like trying to be a writer or, you know, working on working with artists and working on a screenplay and doing all of these like great creative things, but that often don't pay very much. I don't pay very much at all. And that are hard to quantify when it comes to success. I mean, unless you win like a fucking Emmy or a Grammy or something like that, it is hard to measure success in those creative fields. And it's hard to measure what a successful day is to you unless you've had like a really good writing day or something like that. But when your only goal is to make money, it is so beautifully black and white. If you succeed, did you succeed? Did you make money or did you fail and not make money? And you don't have to think about anything else. You just enter into this beast mode of stacking paper and it feels fucking great. When you can do it successfully, it feels amazing. So this was really my first time of like having this high and this endorphin rush of making money. And then add to that, like the endorphin rush and the adrenaline that you get from being in this like club party environment all the time of people, you know, gawking at you and paying you to be like half naked or naked and shake your ass or whatever. It got very addictive. And I I was just I was there constantly. There was there were times where I was I would work like five or six days a week. But while you know, there were times that it was great. And when, when it was great, it really, you know, when it was great, it felt amazing. Not only for the fact that I was getting money, but there's something that like, as corny as it might sound, that is very empowering and is very freeing about being able to get paid to party and be a version of yourself for strangers. There's something when it's good, it's really good. But the problem is, is that when you go home, and this I think is how you can get caught up in it, when you go home at the end of the night and you're sitting on your couch and you're eating like, I don't know, a Trader Joe's frozen dinner and you're motionless and you're you're exhausted from dancing all day and being on your feet all day and doing all this stuff, you're so fucking tired that your mind is still racing with all of these things that have happened at the club all day and, and the adrenaline and and the liquor and everything, your mind is running in circles. And it's really, really, really hard to come down off of that. And I think when I was working constantly, I don't think I really took the time to come down off of it. I think I would just force myself to fall asleep because I was so physically exhausted. And the next day I would, I was still in that high headspace of like making money and the adrenaline and the liquor and all of this stuff that I would just, I never fully unplugged. I just went right back. And, you know, at the same time, before I knew it, I was able to move into a really nice apartment, like I said before, and I saved, I was able to save money and I was shopping at like Bottega Veneta and Versace and all these, and I bought a Cartier watch and I did all these things that I had wanted to do for so long. And I finally felt like, damn, 
my life is finally coming together, which is so stupid because obviously those things are not symbols of your life coming together. They don't really do that much for you after a few days of owning them and taking a couple of pictures with them. I mean, I love my watch and I like my apartment, but I still have to pay for the apartment every month and the watch, like now I want a nicer watch. And I mean, it, ne- it never ends. All of this stuff never ends. But I think the main problem with working so obsessively and, and and so consistently is like with all of the other shit that happens to you, you never really give yourself a moment or you never really take the space to process it and almost to apologize to yourself and to your body for what you've made yourself go through. And I mean, there's a lot of different aggressions or microaggressions doesn't even feel like the right word for it. But there's a lot of bullshit that happens. Like I touched on before with Sarah Cortina, who said that, you know, people can cuss you out or whatever. And it really, it depends on the type of club that you're at and what they will allow. But I've had situations where I've been dancing for someone and they you know, try to finger you on the dance floor or they try to lowball you and give you less money than you danced for or less money than you specified or, you know, they do cuss you out. But sometimes it's for the most ridiculous things. Like I literally had a man once yell at me saying I was too emotionally attached to my pussy, quote, because I wouldn't fuck him, which is fucking insane and I don't understand how some people can be so entitled to other people's bodies to women's bodies I really don't I can't relate I cannot relate at all but it does happen you know and there's also like there's the pimps that come that get mad at you because you don't want to work with them there's the wannabe pimps that waste your time I mean they're all they're all waste your time but there's a bunch of guys in there that aren't even trying to pay you they're just they want you to sit with them and boost their ego there are unfortunately like girls who will try to start fights with you I've had days where people have literally stolen my money from my purse because I left it unattended like a fucking idiot um there's a there's a lot that happens And then there's the worst sides, even beyond that, which is, like, the sexual assault and, like, even the rape that can happen. And that's what happened to me a little while ago, and that's one of the reasons why I've taken a little break recently just to to process everything. So I'm going to tell the story now and just a trigger warning I'm not going to get too into it I don't think it's necessary but it this story does involve sexual assault and rape and so if you don't want to hear that then just skip the rest of this episode um the next one will be more lighthearted and all of that but I think that it's worth sharing and I don't know if it's maybe it's happened to someone else but like you're not alone in this happening and it's I don't know. I mean, it's it's really nobody's fault but the per- the perpetrator. So, when it happened to me, I felt like I did. I had the classic unhealthy female response of like, "Oh, I must have done something to encourage this. It must be my fault." I put myself in the situation. I had all of these thoughts, and then I caught myself like, "What the fuck am I saying? I did not. I literally said no like forty times, and he still forced himself onto me. So it's 
no, it's not your fault at all. Like, and even if you didn't say no for like that, it's not your fault. So, um, I had a situation a little while back where someone that I met at the club who the manager had actually introduced me to, and he said that, you know, he was a great customer and he was very generous. He was good money and this and that him and I, me and this customer, after I was introduced to him, we hit it off. Uh, and I had hung out with him a couple times at the club before this. And then one of the times, I guess he was drunk. There was a lot going on, but he raped me. And when it happened, I pretty much immediately left crying. It was very late, went home. Um, His friend who he was with saw that I had left um, and that I was in tears and just made sure that I was okay and like gave me some money because I guess he hadn't even like really paid me for my time and it just the whole thing was just awful I went home I didn't sleep that night I didn't again know who to tell or what to do and I just really assumed that this man would have the decency to like not come back to the club because he obviously knew what happened I left crying I I'm not the type of person to do that I I just thought he would not come back but um I was wrong and last week I was working on a Saturday and who do I see back at the club but him. And the weirdest part was that he actually waved me over and said hi and asked me how I was doing. Like everything was very normal. But I walked away and I've never felt so physically ill after seeing someone. I've never felt so just sick. And I thought about continuing to work and maybe talking to someone else. But I really could not wrap my head around it. So I told the manager what had happened between him and I the last time. And I explained why I wasn't sitting over there anymore. And then I went and told the house mom that he had raped me. And neither of them really made any effort to do anything at all. And I realized something that I've known all along, but that had never like become crystal clear for me like it had just now, which is like, People at the club, at the strip club, people working there, they don't give a fuck about you. The strip club does not care about you at all. Of course, they're nice to you so that, like, you're happy when you come to work. Nobody wants, you know, like an angry stripper. But nobody cares about you, especially in that environment. And so you really, really have to care, like, take care of yourself. Because the thing is, like... Things at the club happen so fast that it's really important to take time to process all of this shit that's happened. Because here's the thing, just to wrap it up, since I know this is almost an hour. Things at the club happen so fast that it's important to take time to process all of the shit that's happened to you. Because if you don't, your traumas will end up showing up unannounced at the club, which is not a very great place for traumas to show up. And you will have a nervous breakdown on the dance floor like I did and have to take a week off or more and start a podcast about stripping. But yeah, take care of yourselves, ladies, people, everybody. Don't have a nervous breakdown on the dance floor.